Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning, North Monroe. It is good to see you. We hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, and uh, we are glad that you are with us again this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about worry. I heard a story uh, a couple of weeks ago of a uh, husband who asked his wife, and I promise this is not a story of anybody in this room. Uh, he asked his wife, why are you always worrying when it doesn't do any good? And uh, I know that sounds a little personal. I promise you, this is not anybody that I've talked to in this room. And uh, she quickly piped back, oh, yes, it does do good. 90% of the things I worry about never come true. And uh, isn't that true? Isn't that true? Worry. Worry, you know, is a problem that uh, we all worry about, don't we? And I, as we were, have been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, we're not going to be there this morning. We're going to take a real quick break. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Um, the more I'm in Ecclesiastes, the more I realize these are the same things that I worry about and that I see a lot of people in our culture worry about that that Solomon in his day and time worried about the exact same things. And, um, you know, he just points out every flaw in our pursuit of things under the sun. Even the good things like social justice, they're all meaningless. And and I think, uh, and we've already kind of covered this, I think his goal is to teach each and every generation to come that all of these pursuits that we have in life really have no real substance. They, they really have no clear path. They're all dead-end roads. The only thing that matters is pursuing God. And, uh, you know, one of the major flaws of our thinking is that we're convinced of these same things that they've been convinced of all the way for thousands and thousands of generations, uh, that if we just have enough money, if we just have enough power, if we just have enough satisfaction, then we will not worry about the things of this world and, and uh, that are going on in our lives. We will be happy and not have a care in the world, right? That's what we think. If I can just get to that point. And uh, it's not true. It's not true. Solomon had each and every one of those things. He had more of it than any of us will ever have. And yet at the end of his Life And at the end of the day, he realized everything is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Like, you know, that's the best advice he can give us under the sun. And uh, I think if there's anything that Ecclesiastes teaches us and pushes us to is to quit worrying. Quit worrying so much about all these things that we think will bring us life. Everywhere Solomon searched, he, he couldn't find it. And... Um, He wrote in Proverbs too. He said, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. So we can focus on our worry, and I can try to fix your worry. I'm not going to be able to. Um, But at the end of the day, our worry and our anxiety weighs us down. It's heavy on our heart, right? But I want to bring you a good word. I want to lift you up this morning. A good word makes him glad. That's my goal. See, we're coming out of this week of thanksgiving and gratitude, and I hope you've paused at least for right before you ate that turkey to at least say thank you for the things that God has done in your life. I hope you sat around the table at some point or sat down with your family and and shared what you were thankful for currently in your life. I hope you did that this week. You know, that, that really is a good starting place 
to quit worrying about the things that we don't have and be thankful for the things that we do. Um, you know, it's almost like if we could just flip the script, like we're not going to complain, we're not going to worry, we're just going to be thankful. I wish it was that easy, right? You see, the problem with, with our worry is it makes us feel hopeless. You know, with the things we worry about, we can't see through them. We can't, we can't get to the other side. We don't see the outcomes, and so we, we worry, we feel hopeless. And we are people who have the greatest hope in the world, right? In Jesus, we have the greatest hope in the world, and yet we still worry. Uh, we worry what, about what might happen in the future. We worry about our families. I think uh, guilt is a part of our worry too. We carry around shame and guilt, and so we're worried about that and how, you know, how can we ever shake these things? We don't feel forgiven. We don't feel set free, so we're worried. We're anxious. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 12, all right? Now that we got it set up, Luke chapter 12, we're going to be in verse 22. We're going to start there. We're going to break it up a couple times, but let's look at it. Um, he said to his disciples, notice that. This is context right here. Jesus talking to his disciples about worry. He says, I tell you, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Let's pause right there real quick. He's just saying, don't worry, disciples. It's simple as this. Don't worry. Why? The first thing that you need to see here is worry is destructive. You know, we like to do this. We like to go back. We have words in English. We like to go all the way back to that original language. It's, it's kind of a fun little teaching tool that we have. And in that original language, the, the word that he used for worry, it, it literally means to be torn apart, right? That's what our worry does. We worry about it going this way or that way, right? Or we just don't know. We just worried about it. We don't know which way it's going to go. Wearsby points this out, to be torn apart like a ship being tossed around by a raging storm. We're just ripped apart. That's what worry does in our life. It's destructive, you know, worry is a response that we think will fix something, but in the end, it just makes it worse. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It only empties today of its strength. Never really fixes the problem. Jesus is pointing that out to us here in this passage. He said, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? That's his question. No, no, we can't. It only takes away. It never gives back. Um, it's destructive. It's a destructive habit that we all fall into pretty easily. The, the second thing I see here is that worry is deceptive. I want you to see this. Worry is deceptive. We know, and it's going to point out here in just a second, God provides for us. He's more than able to, to meet each and every need. And yet we worry about these things. Maybe their needs being met. He mentioned the ravens, right? We call them crows here, right? I think it's kind of a close cousin, the crow. They're unclean, and yet God provides for each and every one of them. They don't have to store anything else, anything up, and, you know, be prepared for what may come. They just, they're just provided for. Now, the crows along 165 between here and Sterlington are very well provided for, aren't they? My goodness. Somebody has filled all their tags between here and Sterlington. 
I know. Every day it seems like there's a new piece of roadkill out there. They're very well taken care of. We should have a really healthy population of them around here. And if God provides each and every meal for the raven, he said, and I want you to underline this part, how much more, how much more, uh, I think the NIV says, how much more valuable are you than the birds? The, the CSBs of what I'm reading. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Underline that part, because I think that's his point here. When we worry, we are deceived into thinking that God is not going to provide for whatever reason. And one of those may be that we don't feel like we are worth uh, God providing for us. And yet we're deceived. His main point is, aren't you worth more than the birds? Um, that, that, that word there, it's, it's, it's this measuring out and, and separating out the good and the bad and the, the valuable and the invaluable there. It's distinguishing. So it makes me uh, wonder, and this is my question for you this morning as we begin. Do you know your worth in God's eyes? Aren't you much more valuable. How much more do you know your worth in God's eyes? Now, if we look at Psalm 139, 14, he says this, I praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. God knew you before you were you, before you were born. He knew you, and you were valuable to him. We see this all throughout scriptures. And um, it reminded me this week, I, uh, a few, well, a couple years ago, I think it was, I had to clean out some space in my garage. You know, the kids, they all have a bike and they all have toys everywhere. And so uh, my stuff got booted out of the garage. So I had to sell this hunting side-by-side -side thing that I loved and just had to make room. So I posted it on Facebook Market, right? Because what else do you do? And uh, I, I am not a salesman. I have no idea really how to sell stuff. So I posted it and, you know, I just said, I, I really had no idea how valuable the thing was or not was, was not. Uh, so I just picked the price and uh, what I hoped to get for it, posted it out there. No interest, right? None. So I lowered it a little bit and a couple questions came in, had to lower it again, lower it again. And, and I realized at that time, you know, the value of something, at least on Facebook market, is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for that, that item, right? And my, what I thought it was value, how much it was worth, was not nearly equal to what it ended up being worth, I guess. But it got me thinking, if the value of something is determined by how much uh, a person is willing to pay for it, uh, what about us? And I, I was led to... Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you may know this one already. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. What was the price that God paid for you? It was his very own son, Jesus himself. Jesus. Uh, if you want to know your worth to God, look at Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, right? So part of our worry about uh, in, in life, what we'll eat and what we'll wear is, is really a shot at 
our view of how God views you, right? Um, there was a theologian that said, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so our worry is an attack at how we view God. Do you know your value in God's eyes? Do you know your worth? Um, don't let your worry become so great that you can't see his character. It's always good. Reminds me, and I heard this hymn a couple of weeks back and it reminded me of this, how deep the Father's love for us. I don't know if you've heard that one. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Do you realize your worth? It's, are we deceived? Have we been deceived by our worry? Another reason that I think he's going to point out here that we should not worry, and this is a big one here, is that worry makes us look like the rest of the world. It really does, doesn't it? Worry makes us look like the rest of the world. Look what he says, verse 27. Uh, we've already covered the, the birds. Verse 27, consider the, how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. Don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Worrying makes us look a lot like the world. The Gentile world eagerly seeks after all these things. And isn't it interesting, we've already kind of pointed this out, that in this passage about worry, here's our Solomon reference. That's when I kind of wanted to bridge that gap between Old and New Testament there. Solomon knew exactly what this was about. His words in Ecclesiastes break down every pursuit of life that we worry about. And uh, as long as we worry, we're, we have that under-the-sun mindset. And Jesus said, look at the flowers, okay? We've already covered the birds. Look at the flowers. They're, they're so temporary. And yet, and, and nobody plants them. Nobody tends to them. They just grow, and their splendor is greater than all of the splendor that we've seen in Solomon's life so far that we've covered. All of the beautiful palaces and parks and everything that Solomon got to experience the wildflowers surpass that. Um, he said, look at them. And if God can do that, imagine what he can do for you. He said, again, how much more? How much more will he do for you? So we've got all these worries in our life. And all we got to do is look around. And God has provided all around us effortlessly. And yet we're still worried. If God can do that, how much more will he do for you? Solomon, again, he told us all these things in the world that the world is searching carry no weight. And so we don't want to look the same as the world. Quit worrying about those things. There's a better way. You know, I, and I, I feel like this worry he's talking about is, is a little bit different. We have this crippling anxiety in our culture today. And, and it's, it's rampant. It's everywhere. And I feel, like, uh, I, I feel like this is a little bit different than that. That's kind of another issue for another day. This is these, these little bitty nagging things that we worry about that we know are pointless, that we know have no real significance, but they're, they're current. They're on us right now. 
And it's, it's more of this thought pattern that leads to an ungrateful heart, and that ungrateful heart leads to a complaining attitude. It, it turns our childlike faith into childishness really quick. See, there's, I think there's this fine line between worrying too much and complaining with an ungrateful heart. Reminds me of the Israelites in the Old Testament when God had delivered them. Y'all remember this story? They'd been in Egypt in slavery for years and years and years, generations, and, and God delivered them miraculously. They, they didn't, had done nothing. God had just delivered them. They walked out of Egypt, free people, to go and follow him, and serve him, and live for him. And it wasn't very long in the, uh, in the wilderness that they started to worry, right? What are we going to eat out here? We're starving to death, God. I think it's like Numbers 14 or so. And, 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 and that worry turned into what? Complaining. God, did you bring us out here to kill us all? To bring us out of Egypt just to wipe us out? Didn't, didn't you provide more for us back in the slavery of Egypt? And they were thinking about all these things that they used to serve other people. I guess that they had access to after they, they, they had all the leftovers. See, there's this fine line between worrying and complaining about what God has done, being deceived about how he provides for us in our life. Don't let that happen. Don't let your worry turn into complaining. Now, so what's our solution here? He's, he's, he's given us this command, don't worry. And, uh, you know, we, in our minds, we automatically think, don't worry, be happy. That's not what he's going to tell us here. That is not the point. Don't worry. Be happy. That's not what he's saying. Maybe the cure to our worry is not to focus on eliminating worry or to be more happy than we are worrying about stuff. But maybe the cure for our worry is to refocus on the mission that God has for all of us. Watch what he does. Verse 31, uh, Luke chapter 12, remember, that's where we are. Verse 31, he says this, but seek his kingdom and all of these things will be provided for you. There's our turn right there. I tell you, don't worry about these things. Don't look like the world. Realize God has provided for you. And instead, seek the kingdom. The, the parallel verse here is Matthew 6, 33. I, I remember memorizing that, I think, when I was in college, and it stuck with me all the way through. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be provided for you. Not these things that we just... You know, deep, you know, these little material things, not any of that. Just like what we've seen here, God's going to provide for every one of our needs. He'll take care of the worry. Our worry will go away if we just seek the kingdom. That's almost like what he's saying here. But don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, make money bags for yourself that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, he's not saying don't worry, be happy. He's saying don't worry, seek the kingdom. Our main priority should be the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? I think, um, I think a lot of times in churches, we get this backwards. And to illustrate this, I've, I've recruited some volunteers. I'm going to invite them up, and they're a little terrified, so take it easy on them. I want to get our volunteers to come on up. 
Like I said, many churches have this backwards. We have our own agendas far too often. Um, instead of seeking the kingdom, we start to seek that. And, and seeking the kingdom means we serve the king. And I, if you've read Isaiah 9 before, I hope you do this with your family sometime this, uh, this Christmas season where he talks about, he prophesies that Jesus is our king. And uh, while they get set up, this is what a lot of churches look like sometimes. We become inward focused, all right? And this is, this is the perfect picture of it, all right? We, and we love this now. Let me tell you, we are good right here because, man, we're together. We're united. I can, I can tell what, it, what everybody's doing, man, and, and this, is, this is unity. This is the church. And it doesn't take long uh, before, you know, we, we, this, this thing that we once loved, this unity, we start to worry about what other people are doing. Can you believe she wore those shoes to church this morning? Look who's not here today, you know, who's not in our circle. And we get it all backwards. We start serving our own agendas. We only see what's inside of the circle. This is an inward focus. This happens in churches. This can happen really quickly in our life groups. But like I said, we have it backwards. Look at, and, and so here, here's how it should be. Notice what happens here. If we just turn it around, okay, this is what seeking the kingdom looks like. Now, are we any less united like this? No. I've got your back. You've got my back. We're together in this thing. But instead of serving our own agendas here, what's our priority? We're looking to the world around us to seek the kingdom. Where can we go from right here to seek the kingdom out there? And all of a sudden, these worries don't even matter anymore. We can face the darkness around us. We remind ourselves that the darkness has not overcome the light. Let's go. You coming with me? You see that? Let's go. This is how our churches and our life groups, this is how God wants them. This is seeking the kingdom. All we got to do is turn from the inside and turn it outward. Let's thank our volunteers. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. <laughs> I have your back, you have mine. We're in this together. I love that, that illustration. Where can we seek the kingdom of God in our community? Do you know that you have a kingdom purpose? That each and every one of us who follows Jesus has a purpose where you live, work, and play. There's a church that uses that phrase. Everywhere you go, God is sending you out to seek the kingdom. We call this discipleship. So what could you do wherever you go? You know, if, if, if coming here is our only purpose, we've totally missed it. We've missed it. Now, we want you to come here. We want to gather you together so we can build you up. We can energize you so we can send you out into the community, into the world, seek the kingdom. But our goal is not just to get you to come here at North Monroe. Our goal is to equip you to minister to the people in your life, to make disciples who make disciples. That's kind of the famous phrase. Teaching others to be like Christ, that's discipleship. So where are you going to start? You have to look for opportunities. You have to open up your eyes. We got, again, we got to turn, we got to turn inward, turn out, and all of a sudden, you'll realize, man, God has placed me 
around this group of people for this very purpose. Let's take it to them. He says uh, back in verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. Your father delights to give you the kingdom. He is not afraid that you're going to mess it up. He delights. He delights to give you the kingdom. Uh, verse 33 and 34, sell your possessions, give to the poor. That's the same thing that he just finished telling the rich young ruler, right? And I think the point of that, inserting it into, into this part, is, is there's so many things that get in the way of this. Man, we've got we've to take care of this, got to take care of that. We've got all these things. If there's anything in the way of seeking the kingdom, I think his point here is to eliminate that. Get rid of it. It's not worth holding on to. Because where he finishes there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? Where your treasure is, there's your heart. Now we're at the heart of it. What do we need to fully surrender to God? Maybe, maybe we need to fully surrender our own hearts for the very first time to God, that we can begin to walk on this journey and seek the kingdom. Maybe we need to just let go of some stuff. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think these things we worry about, they reveal where our treasure is, right? The, the you know, what, what are we going to do next? How, how's this going to end? Those things reveal what our treasure is deep down inside. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And remember what he said. How much more valuable are you? And how much more will he do? How much more? Can you imagine what God could do if each and every one of us go from here where we, to where we live, work, and play and seek the kingdom, what, what, he, ha what he will begin to do here in our community? Um, he is not done yet. He wants you. He wants you to get in the game. So this morning, that's our challenge. This week, I want you to look for opportunities. Let's, let's put aside some of these worries that have been weighing us down. Let's seek the kingdom where we are, all right? And as always, we want to extend an invitation. If, if you have no idea what it means to follow Jesus, if you've never fully surrendered your heart to him, we beg you today to do that. And so as I pray, I want you to pray. And, and a good place to start is, is that very phrase, God, I surrender my heart to you. And I want to follow you and seek the kingdom. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We surrender our hearts fully to you because we know that you have much more for us. We know that you will provide much more if we quit worrying about these things in our lives. Seek the kingdom. So I pray right now for those who don't know you, but want to know you, I pray that they would fully surrender their hearts. I pray for all of us here who need to lay aside these things that are weighing us down and run with endurance the race that you've marked out for us and seek the kingdom. Make that our number one priority from right here. And as we do that, we know that we're going to see incredible things that you are going to do here. We thank you for 
of your word in this place. And I pray that we would go from here to serve you. So let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.